Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to this episode of my interview series. Today I have Patrick Rosevear, an intellectual property lawyer who is an expert in counterfeit goods. He's worked in China helping brands solve counterfeit headaches for many years. So I'm very excited to have Patrick here today. Thank you for joining me, Patrick. Hey, I'm going to be here. So I guess, where do we start? Let's start with like, how did you come to be living in China uncovering brand counterfeit issues? Yeah, um, well, it's been a fairly long journey. So I, I graduated from law school back in 2012 and was admitted to the bar in New Zealand, where I'm originally from. And I did a, a legal internship in Melbourne in Australia. Uh, and at, at some point, I realized that I needed to go further afield. I, I went to a house party in Melbourne when there were about 30 to 35 people from my high school at the house party. And I decided that Melbourne was possibly a little bit too close to home and I needed to get a little bit more outside my comfort zone. And um, and just opportunistically around that time, I had a little side project going on doing some, some manufacturing, just up, something I've been doing since university actually. And I went over to China to meet the manufacturers that I was working with. Uh, we came over to Shanghai and really fell in love with the place, realized it, it, it wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. It wasn't like North Korea. It was you know, really, really fun and, and open and lots of opportunity. And I decided to, to move over. I had a, a strong interest in learning Chinese at the time as well. Um, so I moved over and, 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 and did that. And then I worked for um, a New Zealand law firm uh, for some time and also worked for the New Zealand embassy. And now I do my own, uh, my own projects. So and now, now I'm just helping companies to protect their intellectual property here in China. Uh, but I've had several years of, of doing this in, in, in various different roles. Yeah, it's such an important um, activity. You know, my, from my background working in big companies, I mean, working at um, Chanel, there was always, there's always, you know, a team working on counterfeit, um, Burberry, L'Oreal, like everyone, every, it touches so many different brands. But I think that what's interesting is that it's not always just those big, biggest brands, right? There are smaller brands that get counterfeited as well. And um, I guess that's why we're here today to talk about how important it is for brands to think about this, uh, whether they're in China or not, actually. I think it's something that brands, even if they're selling outside China, we, we've touched on this when we've had previous conversations, that this counterfeit can go anywhere, right? It's not just, it's not just being sold in China. That's right, that's correct. So um, obviously counterfeit products pop up all over the world. Um, generally speaking, they are made in China uh, for the most mm-hmm. part. Uh, they can be made in other countries too, obviously, uh, but China is one of the hotspots for manufacturing both counterfeit and, and genuine products. Mm. Um, so it's it's not usually the root of the problem. Um, so it's very important to address here in the country. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess then, is there a size and type of brand that's more likely to run into counterfeit issues? 
Um, I mean, I obviously the more popular uh, your brand is in China, the more likely it is to be mm. counterfeited because the, mm. the room for profit is it's much greater uh, because it's a recognizable brand. People are searching for it every day, et cetera. Mm. Um, however, uh, certainly in the last few years, there's definitely been a trend of um, more boutique brands being, um, being copied. Uh, so I think uh, when China was just developing, people were really into the Burberries, the Chanel's, the you know, yeah. the Gucci's of this of this world, and and now people are making a the Chinese consumers making a big effort to um, to try and find something else, uh, to find something that's maybe um, better or more suited to their own personality or something that they think is just a higher quality product, mm. um, and they they take pride in finding you know more you know more boutiquey sort of uh, they call it Xiaozhong Xiaozhong mm-hmm. Pai, uh, so mm-hmm. boutique brands here in China. So the, you know there are lots of articles on uh, Xiaohong Shu Little Red Book. Um, or on you know various blogging web websites etc. And people sort of talk about this, and when people travel overseas to places like Australia, the UK, uh, to, to France, for example, um, they will make a, a big effort to go out of their way to try and find these more boutique brands. Um, so yeah. yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. There's no uh, there's no sort of typical size brand. Uh, you you definitely need to have had some exposure uh, mm. to the Chinese market, um, but I've seen lots of smaller brands being copied um, every day yeah. when I'm doing research for clients. Uh, tiny brands that have just started up in the last couple of years mm. would have no idea they've been copied yet. Yeah, it's interesting because it's actually makes me think about another issue that brands run into a lot, which is obviously trademarks. And um, so many brands who have no, haven't even thought about China yet. Um, you know, they, they have their trademarks being filed uh, in China and therefore when they actually, five years late down the track when they're actually looking at China, they realize that someone's had their trademark in China for quite some time. So that's, a, that's another issue that brands have to think about too. That's correct. Yeah, so there's, um, there's obviously no way of actually enforcing your intellectual property if you do not own it. Um, so it's yeah. very important to first and foremost own your intellectual property mm. in China. Um, so it's a very, very common problem for, mm. uh, for brands to run into for a, like a squatter issue or maybe yeah. a, a distributor with bad intentions who has mm. registered a trademark against the, um, against mm. the will of the brand owners. Um, so yeah, when I, when I worked at the New Zealand Embassy in the, in the trade team there, we were giving support to New Zealand companies and we came across this almost weekly uh, where a company would say, hey, we've been looking into China, we've been doing you know, a bit of business there even, and we just realized we, someone else owns our trademark. Um, so the mm. very, very common issue, um, however, you know, and generally speaking, Chinese intellectual property law works a little bit differently to common law countries. Uh, so you can have like a, um, a, a sort of a, co- a common law registration in, in other countries where if you've been using that trademark, uh, you know, if you've been actually using it, then you can have um, some sort of like prima facie rights over that trademark. However, in China, it's first uh, the first person to register it. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different. However, uh, so it sounds quite gloomy. It sounds like if someone's registered it, then you're done. Uh, that's not the case. So within the first three years of the registration, uh, you can file a, a cancellation request uh, based based on uh, various factors, but the typical one would be on a, a bad faith registration. Yeah. Um, so that could be squatter activities. So if someone's registered 300 trademarks, for example, mm-hmm. that's evidence or prima facie evidence that that, um, that your trademark was registered uh, with bad faith, with no intention yeah. of actually using it um, simply as yeah. a squatter. Or if, or if that person was a, a distributor for you, for example, um, then you can show some evidence of that and you can cancel the trademark within the first three years three of years. the registration. If it's past the first three years, 
then you can cancel that trademark based on non-use. Um, so you just need to sort of uh, file an application to the, the trademark office in China showing that the trademark hasn't been used, which is often mm. the case for, for squatters, mm. and, you can, and you can get that back. Um, mm. Some people will just try and cut to the chase and purchase the, hey. um, the trademark mm. back off the squatters. I, I don't think that's something that anyone wants to do, uh, but it's, it's an option for some people to do also. Yeah, totally, totally. It depends on it depends on how how much appetite you have for fighting it and um, how much money they're asking for. I think it's a, it's it's a case by case basis. But um, so I guess back to the counterfeit stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about how these operations work for beauty in particular? I guess. Sure. Um, so I, I work with a lot of fashion brands. Um, so that's mm. been the, the majority of my yep. experience, but I do also mm. have some exposure to some, some beauty brands as well. Mm. And, and they work actually quite differently to one another. Um, so mm -hmm. I think, for example, um, if we take the, the fashion brands, for example, there are a lot of consumers who, who know that a good a product might be counterfeit and they want that product, despite the fact that it's a counterfeit product. Um, so yeah. they want to have a, you know, a cheaper Gucci bag, for example, um, they want to pay you know, 300 Chinese yuan versus, you know, 10,000 or whatever it is for, for the genuine product. Mm. Uh, they like the design and, and they really don't care. And some of them will even, you know, openly tell their friends that they, they, they bought yeah. something fake. They don't care about that. Um, however, beauty products are totally the opposite. So people who consumers are looking for, for imported beauty products are definitely looking for the real thing uh, yeah. because they're putting it on their skin. Uh, there are some, you know, supplements, etc. It's the same deal. So health products to something that you are uh, consuming into your body, you obviously mm. want it to be the real thing. So it's mm. safe. So it's quite different. So if you look at into to, to fake counterfeit fashion products, you see very low price points on uh, both online and offline, uh, mm -hmm. because people are you know that you know people know what they're buying. They know that it's uh, it's a low price. It's fake, but whatever, it's not going to kill yeah. it. You know. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, beauty products, it's less obvious that something is fake. Um, so you mm -hmm. need to dig deeper because you don't have the information just based on the price because the price mm -hmm. will often be uh, similar to the real thing or, or not significantly lower um, to yep. the extent where it's definitely fake. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, um, you know, fashion products, or fashion brands that have been counterfeited will often be, you know, 90% less or 95% less than the, the genuine thing. Whereas yeah. beauty products, it, it might be the same or just sort of 20 to 50% less, um, which could be genuine because uh, you know, beauty products are discounts, yeah. et cetera, and wholesale rates are sometimes, yeah. you know, can be around that that level. So it's, it's hard to know. Um, so for, for these things, you really need to, to test. So you need to do test purchases mm -hmm. uh, with online and offline. And you, uh, usually you can tell by the packaging. Um, so you don't need to open something up. Um, so as soon as you... You know, for example, I, I just did a test purchase the other day and um, for, a, for a very famous Australian cosmetics brand that I won't mention the name of the brand. Um, however, the back of the, 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 it looked pretty flawless. Like the whole, the packaging was, was really beautiful. It was almost exactly like the real thing. However, mm. there was a, a, one spelling mistake on the, on the label because they have to rewrite this stuff out and they're not native English speakers. And mm. they spelt New York as New York with, a, with an E instead of an O. Um, so that was the giveaway in that case. Um, there was some small differences with the, the packaging as well, uh, which you could notice. And obviously, if you opened it up and, and tested the actual product, you would probably be able to, to know if you're comparing it to the real thing, if you're familiar uh, with the real product. But yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's certainly harder to... Uh, so slight, you have to take one or two more steps to find out 
uh, if some liquor is real or not. Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I mean, I think I shared this story with you before, but I remember years ago um, working at Chanel, we found a whole faked counter in Hainan, like the whole counter, all the products, everything was completely fake. Um, and I think everyone was completely shocked. Hainan was not what it is today. This is not, it's not a destination where everyone went all the time. Um, it was definitely somewhere that I think the first visit from the head office team ever. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's amazing the quality of the look and feel, but as you said, the actual product inside, of course, they don't have a fighting chance and they don't care that it's really like the actual thing. I mean, I, I think fragrance is, is a category that is very susceptible to this, um, and, but I don't know whether makeup and skincare gets um, counterfeited as much as fragrance does, but certainly I know that fragrance gets counterfeited a lot. Yeah, no, and um, yeah, fragrance is a bad one. Um, you know, skincare products, absolutely. Uh, there are, mm. There's a huge amount of counterfeit stuff out there. Uh, mm. So it's, it is harder to, to, to find out. As, as I mentioned before, it's harder to, to, to find based on price. Um, however, yeah. you know, I've uncovered troves of this stuff for, for, for beauty products. Um, so, mm. um, you know, I've been talking, uh, anonymously talking to a couple of, you know, wholesalers who sell dropship, you know, they, they dropship, these beauty products. So, for example, they might sell a um, you know famous Western makeup brand that might potentially sell for a hundred US dollars um, retail for the genuine product, and they'll sell it for about three dollars or five dollars US, and then they will drop ship it to your to your client. Um, so it's within China, and so you can have a service where. You know, I, I might have uh, on my so on my Facebook wall of WeChat, so my WeChat moments, I might have a bunch of products every day and I sell directly to my consumers who think they're buying the real thing. And then I can arrange drop shipping from these wholesalers where they can just send individual packages out. Um, they can also make it look as if the packages are all coming from mainland China, but they can all make it look as if they're coming from Hong Kong and they're genuine Dai Gol. So, you know, um, genuine products that have been bought from a, a pharmacy outside of mainland China and they provide the the full logistics tracking that it makes it look like it's coming from Hong Kong when it's not. Um, I assume they can do this in other countries too and they provide a receipt from a pharmacy, a fake receipt to show that the product was bought at the you know the real purchase price from a genuine uh, retailer. Um, so they can do it all to make everything look you know correct uh, and, and, it's, and it's not. So it's um it's pretty scary. Um, so <laughs> the consumers will have no idea because and the profit margins are, are obviously huge. Um, so they can mm. buy it for significantly less than the, the real product. So not only is it dangerous to the brand's reputation because someone gets like a skin rash or some serious skin problem and they post something on social media or they report it to the authorities and it's, it's really bad news for the brand um, because people won't know that it's a fake product mm. and they'll blame mm. the brand. Um, but also it creates huge price competition and um, takes away market share from the genuine brand as well. So it hurts their business. Yeah, yeah. No, there are a lot of reasons to get it under control for sure. So if, if you are looking at helping a brand to uncover these issues, what's the sort of way that you do that, Hannah? And then how do you go to sort of solve it? Um, so typically, I think that the offline stuff is, is, a, is a different thing in itself. So offline counterfeiting is, is more difficult to, to find. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, you, you know, you can go around trying to find that stuff, but that's, that's sort of harder to sweep up. Um, but 
luckily now with online, it's actually a lot easier for us to, 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 to investigate and find this. So what I would typically do is I'll go into all the different um, popular Chinese platforms. Um, right. Potentially, if we're looking at different product types, I'd use some different platforms versus others. Um, so I'd look at the wholesale platforms and the retail, resale, uh, so the retail platforms. Mm. I would look, you know, obviously search the brand name um, in Chinese and English. Well, sometimes they have some um, some, some hybrid nicknames that the consumers mm. actually just make up themselves that the brand doesn't know about. So I'd just investigate that. Um, I'd obviously get familiar with the brand itself and their price points. Um, so I would know what was looking like it was fake based on price. And then I'd look into, you know, the most, uh, you can see the sales volumes through these platforms. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was just a, I was investigating, a, investigating a very famous clothing brand just earlier today. And they, as an outdoor clothing brand, I won't mention the name, but they have, you know, genuinely have about, you know, tens of millions of US dollars of sales of counterfeit stuff every month, every month. Um, so they're, they're hugely popular and they just have stuff going wild. Um, they're not, they don't have it under control. Um, so you just look into yeah you look into the most uh, the, the I guess the the product links online with the the highest sales volumes because they're doing the most damage to the brand um, mm. and they're doing the best job of the sales. So I look into to them. I look into the potentially the, the pictures that consumers have, have uploaded to the platform and they're giving reviews. Uh, but some mm -hmm. telltale signs around, uh, for example, packaging for for skincare stuff and looking at the spelling. Of the yep. pack, on the packaging and looking at the sort of the, the color and everything and, and the labels mm. um, for, yeah, for fashion stuff it's the same so often the packaging of a product is done differently uh, because they cut corn the counterfeit is cut corners so they get mm, something that's you know charbo door so it's pretty yeah. much the same but it's not the same mm. um, so they uh yeah they, they they cut corners with labels with the, the outside packaging with um often the branding on the product itself, they, they don't have it exactly the same. So that, those are the telltale signs I look for. And obviously price is the big red flag for me. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And then to if, so if you uncover this for, for a brand, we talk, we say we're saying a niche, a niche brand, a medium sized brand. What's the, what are the steps that you take to then help them solve that? Uh, I mean, there are a few different options for enforcing your intellectual property. So firstly, mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, you must have registered your, um, your intellectual property. Trademark. So if, you, if, if a brand hasn't registered their trademark, for example, then they need to sort that out first. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. you can, and then once that's sorted, then you can move on the enforcement of that trademark. Um, so what I would, what I would do is uh, it depends on the, the situation and what the brand wants to do. Um, so if there's a counterfeiter that's making tons of money and, and the brand wants to sue them, then they can uh, pursue litigation against that counterfeiter and, and go for damages. And the intellectual property courts in first tier cities in China are, are pretty good. Um, so they, you know, they respect the rule of law. Um, they enforce intellectual property rights for for local brands, for foreign brands. Uh, they don't care. They're pretty pretty much to the letter of the law. Mm -hmm. And if it's if there's good evidence against the counterfeiter, then you're going to win. Um, whether you can get damages or not is a different story. So that's a different sort of question. Um, so you need to do some research into the liquidity of the counterfeiter, um, which they'd normally be pretty liquid because they're making lots of money from, uh, you know, huge profit margins from from counterfeit goods. But you need to look into whether they have their funds available for um, for getting frozen uh, before the litigation is started. Sure. Um, so yeah, the worst case scenario that that's like you know the the nuclear or the atomic option for for a brand. Um, but usually I wouldn't recommend it because it takes around a year. Um, so usually you want to take the links down of the of, of the, the counterfeit um, 
the, the counterfeit merchants. You want to take their links down off, off Chinese e-commerce platforms. And yeah. also you want to do some investigation into who they are so you can keep tabs on them in the future. Um, so mm -hmm. I would always do test purchase. So I'd always buy yeah. products from these, from these people, um, which is pretty effortless and costless because you can also just return the products, which is a very important thing to do. Uh, mm. Because often when they send them out, they will send with a fake address and a fake phone number. And then you say to them, look, I, I'd like to return this product now. And then they give you their real address and their uh -huh. real phone number or something right. close to it. Yeah, they yep. might not give the exact exact detail address, but they give something close to it. And then you, um, you, you know, you can find out where they are. You can go visit them in person, which I, I sometimes do. Um, you can put a GPS tracking device and the, and, the, and the package to find out exactly mm. where their warehouse is located um, unfortunately the gps tracking devices are rather i've got one actually right next to me i can get it out of here but they're rather large and so uh, you, oh. it's, it's a little bit hard, hard to conceal them so you've got to be um yeah you're gonna they, they're gonna find out that you're tracking them when they open the package up um, which is unfortunate but you can find out where their warehouse or where their, where their factory is uh, through, through through various methods like this oh it's it all sounds very um it all sounds very exciting you know you're sort of like undercover undercover discovering all these things um but for for beauty brands um you know i i with fashion brands i completely understand the huge amount of money that can be made from the counterfeits as per your like example the outerwear example but for beauty brands if we're talking about medium-sized brands, do you think that there should be, there's a sort of a certain size of problem that you then start to really want to solve it? Or do you think that actually any counterfeit should be cleaned up? Um, and it's sort of an, um, as we've talked about before, it's sort of an ongoing thing, isn't it? Because of course you, you shut one down and then they might pop up somewhere else. And so how do you sort of suggest brands manage it? Mm. Well, first of all, I think it's a, it's a, it's in some ways it's a good problem to have because it shows that your brand is is uh, respected yeah. and, and wanted. Um, so yeah. if you don't have any counterfeit activity, it means that your brand is worth nothing in China, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so unless you've obviously shut that counterfeit activity down, so so um, it's a good problem to have. And when it pops up, uh, you need to keep. I think you need to keep tabs on it, regardless. You need to know what's what's out there, mm. um, and it will be an ever evolving thing. Um, so mm -hmm. if you're you know, a, a new brand that's a brand that's coming into China for the first time, for example, and you're doing some market development, you're doing, um, you're getting brand exposure, then the more brand exposure you have, the more counterfeit you're going to have. So mm -hmm. you need to make sure you keep tabs on it, you know, every, every three months or every six months or whatever it is, mm -hmm. just to see how things are going. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, if, if it's a small problem, then it's actually, it's easier to control. And then it's easier to, to sort of, so keep surveillance of and shut shut it down as it, as new links or new sort of we're talking about online here so as new sort of counterfeit links pop up mm. it's it's much easier to then control them um, whereas mm. if it gets really really out of hand then it's very very hard to reel in after that um, there's yep. a lot of work required if you are yeah so it, it's almost how would i explain it it's like um yeah i, I guess it's like a sort of uh, a uh, what is it a hole, hole in the dike or something like if there's a like a big wall holding the water and you know you got to like patch the wall up if there's a little bit of a bit of a leak um, because if it starts coming through it's it's very very difficult to stop once yeah. it gets momentum um so yeah. it is harder so I, I recommend that brands would shut it down when there's a 
you know, reasonably significant amount. Um, if there's just sort of, if there's no sales, then I think it's not as much of an issue. So if no one's and really buying this on. kind of stuff, mm. that, yeah, they just, there's less of an incentive. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, I wouldn't recommend everyone shuts everything down. Um, but if there, you know, there's a reasonable amount of sales every month and it's taken away from your own sales, it's affecting your, uh, your revenue in the Chinese market. So for, especially with makeup or in beauty products, because the counterfeiters are not going to be, um, they're not going to be price cutting because the yeah. consumer will sniff that it's fake and not buy it. So they can't price cut. Um, so it genuinely does affect the, um, the sales. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to, to shut it down if you're even having, yeah. Mm. you know 50,000 RMB of sales a month or so mm. okay I mean I also think I also think that it's a big risk for brands with the um you know brands looking to come into the market from uh, domestically rather than just cross-border because obviously part of that is having a responsible person and with the new regulations that responsible person has a huge amount of legal responsibility for the brand and if you've got counterfeit flowing around you know there's a lot of that opens up a lot of potential issues and more danger I guess for that for that legal for that responsible person so I think there's there's a lot of reasons anyway to shut it down but from from in the new structure and the way that they've put more that the government have put more um legal weight on that role of a responsible person. I think that's, um, you know, uh, something that as a brand, you need to help your local partners um, because you don't want counterfeit product causing complaints, causing question marks, causing, let alone just general brand reputation issues. Correct, that's right. And, and that just actually, now you bring up that point of, uh, you know, having domestic sales uh, versus cross-border e-commerce, that just, that's another, way that we can find out whether something's counterfeit or not if we're buying something online. Um, so when you're talking to people on e-commerce platforms, you can ask them, do you have stock in the country? And if it's a product that's not registered to be generally imported, uh, it can only be a cross-border e-commerce product, then you know if they've got a big amount of stock in China that it's it's fake um, because mm. they can't have imported that stuff from, from overseas. No. Um, so they're producing it locally. Um, so that's another way we can, that's another red flag for us to to find out. Mm. Another, another thing I'll mention is that um, with beauty products, it's actually a little bit more difficult to, to know exactly what the extent of the counterfeit problem is because mm -hmm. beauty products, as I mentioned before, the price, the pricing doesn't give it away as much as in other industries or in other sectors um, and other categories. However, the other thing is a lot of beauty products uh, sold through WeChat directly. So they're, th they're yeah. sold through private accounts um, to direct mm. networks, um, which means it's, it's more difficult to find. Um, so what you really need, to, in that sort of case, you need to just find the wholesalers that are supplying these, these sort of, you know, they call them Weishan, uh, so, mm. you know, small e-commerce uh, retailers. And um, so you mm. really need to, to target the supplier to shut that down because you can't shut it, you can't search for that. You can't find yeah. who these people are in WeChat. There's no, uh, there's no tool to search those people unless WeChat opens up the uh, you know, their data to you, which they're not going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So you focus on that because you have, they're obviously wholesaler platforms, right? So you can, you can search on those platforms for the wholesalers and try and get it directly. That's right. That's right. The, the wholesalers, these, these people, they, they must find the wholesalers on these platforms. They, that's the only way for them to find them. So the wholesalers mm. want to be found and they're on these platforms and they're active. Um, yep. So once you can shut them down, 
uh, then it's it's very difficult for for these you know WeChat retailers to find it in the future, and so you yeah. can sort of shut it down. And also, it's important to find out where those people are. So if you find a big wholesale ring for for this sort of stuff, uh, that's when it's important to you know um, buy a product, return it with a GPS tracker, find out the exact address of their warehouse, and um, and take some action on it. So you can do a, a warehouse raid. Uh, with the local authorities to mm -hmm. to shut their product down or you can contact them and just you know um, send them a legal letter to ask them to stop and, and then just check on it mm -hmm. yeah no fascinating really interesting do you have i guess any last advice for um uh, for niche beauty brands coming into china now considering these sort of issues that we've discussed um, I think, yeah, I think just, I think stay positive and I think a lot of brands will think that the, the system is rigged and, you know, foreign brands can't even register their, their intellectual property here and they can't enforce their intellectual property rights and that's just not the case. Um, mm. So it's not the case at all. Um, mm -hmm. it, it possibly used to be more so the case previously 10 years ago. Mm. Um, mm. However, now it's very much possible to register your intellectual property or to take down a, uh, take down a trademark squatter and then to mm -hmm. enforce your rights. And so, so remain positive and it's not to make that's out of your control. Mm. Uh, and the, the other thing is, you know, obviously register your trademarks nice and early and just, um, you know, keep, keep basic surveillance of, of Chinese e-commerce platforms. Like it's, it's not so hard, even if you can't understand Chinese, you can still open it, download these platforms, open them up and search for your brand name and mm. just have a, keep, keep a look on these things, have a look at the price points to sort of see gauge what's going on you can maybe even chat to these people through the through the platforms themselves and, mm. and try to find out some more information so just just keep like a you know a basic finger on the pulse uh, every few months or so just to see what's going on then obviously if you have an issue uh you know deal with it yeah yeah totally great advice advice well i'll put all your details below the um the video so everyone can get in touch with you if they want to find out more about how you work and sort of for them to understand how to even start seeing um if there's an issue on their particular brand um so thank you very much patrick that was super interesting no problem Ellie. thank you thank you so much for joining me in this episode of clean beauty asia the podcast with me ali rook i hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your china journey forward i always like to hear from my listeners so please join me on linkedin ali rook or instagram clean beauty asia and i'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.